Hey, Warners, welcome to a brand new episode in 2024 of The Women Your Mother Warns You About. And we are going to kick off this year. We already kicked off the year, but this is episode number two of the year. And I always I always love a good animated conversation with <laughs> Gip Wilcox. Are you uh, saying I'm animated? Oh, sometimes. Does it start moving around like this? Yeah, exactly. So yes. happy new year, my friend. Happy new year to you. My goodness, we survived 2023. I I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it survive. I freaking thrived. I like mm-hmm. I doubled my I doubled my results in 2023. Doubling results. Well, me being in the mortgage business had a slightly different story to tell, but you know what? I still view it as a win. Okay, tell me why. Why why was it a win for you? Well, so okay, I guess let me say how much of my of this story do you really want me to get into right now? Oh, give me the tea, as we like to say. Spill the tea, my friend. All right. Well, for those of you out there that don't know, haven't followed or been under a rock for this for the last 12 months, the mortgage industry, which is where I am, has had a little bit of a hard time the last 12 to 18 months. In fact, it's been, for all intents and purposes, from a production standpoint, the worst year in the last easily 40 years in, How? in, in, I- in the mortgage world. So it's been a rough ride, but you know what? The overall sentiment is positive. And I think that's really important. But long story short, Gina, and of course, listeners don't know this, but I sell B2B. So my company would go out and sell mortgage services to financial institutions. Well, the company I was with, been around for 30 years. Guess what? Come November 1st, they decided, hey, it's been fun. We're going to exit your space. So my entire division got laid off. So that's a shame, right? Wow. Now, Mike, like a lot of things, obviously the first gut reaction is, oh my God, what the hell am I going to do? Well, I had a couple of different things. And one of them was taking coaching and sales training, which I've been doing for a number of years, kind of as a quote unquote side hustle, right? Taking that full time. I was excited about it. I had a lot of different meetings lined up, had some potential customers already in the works, that kind of thing. Wasn't really looking to get back in the space. Well, lo and behold, I said, you know what? I've got to entertain the conversations, right? Because you should always take the conversations. Mortgage business is, is, is very similar to a lot of industries out there. It's very large, but also very small. So it's a very tight-knit group. So I talk. Well, I had a very interesting conversation with a uh, longtime friend of mine. Uh, her name's Mickey. And she said, Skip, I really think you need to talk to Patrick, who owns this company. And I said, Okay. I'm always open to a conversation, right? Come on, it's just talk. You have, you have to be. You have to be. Especially if you're a salesperson, you have to be open to every opportunity out there, even if you think it's not a good opportunity. And I'm not just talking That's about exactly job. right. Not, not well, just job. Like we approach a prospect and say, hey, look, we may not be a good fit for you, but at the end of the day, at least you'll know what else is out there, right? Let's at least have a conversation. Exactly. Absolutely. So it's, it's the same thing. So, you know, a number of calls later, I essentially took the approach of, hey, look, this is what I'm going to be doing. If I'm going to come and work on this project for you, I'm going to need to have all the boxes checked. And lo and behold, all the boxes got checked. And not only that, but I was actually interviewing a rep for another territory that I'm looking to fill. And he said, Skip, I know you were looking to do this training thing. I know that they checked all the boxes, but what was it? What was the 
that's the quantifiable piece of it. What's the qualifiable piece of it, right? I said, well, when I talked to the different people, I said one thing that really stood out to me was that not the fact that, hey, they're profitable in, in the worst market in recent memory. They're growing like crazy. All that's great. But the people I talked to had a distinct enthusiasm for coming to work and going at it every day. And if they can do that in the market that we're in right now, imagine where that will take them when we actually turn around or get back mm. to normal. Mm. So that was one of the things that said, what, well, let's do this. And kind of as an aside, they not only have brought me on to be national sales manager, but they've also encouraged me to continue working in my side business and mm. take it as far as I can because they view it as a value add, as an enhancement of their brand to have me out there in the community helping other people in the mortgage and banking sectors. That's interesting. So I have got so many questions. I'm, I'm going to go. The first question I'm going to ask you is, you said they checked the boxes. Yeah. What were the boxes? What well, was so important to you? Well, it was the nuts and bolts of it. Like, okay, am I going to have, is the compensation going to be where it needs to be? Am I going to be allowed to grow as I see fit? Who am I going to report to? What's the software? What's this? What's that? Just going through the list. I made the list, frankly, with the expectation that it wouldn't happen. I was like, I'm already set on this. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there and say, hey, look, let's check all these boxes. If we can, then we'll make it happen, thinking uh, they're not really going to be able to do that. And a couple of them we had to go back and forth on just a little bit in the day. It all worked out. So that's, that, that is really important. But like I said, it wasn't just the nuts and bolts. It was also the feeling. Yeah. So you had like a list of non-negotiables. These are the things I have to have, which ironically, I put that list together for when I met my husband. Before I met my husband, I had like the non-negotiables, but I, I talk about it because I also say that concept of like, these are the things I want in a partner. And they were super specific. Like they were, it was super specific because when the moment came that he showed up in my life, it was such an easy, it was an easy choice to, to spend my life with him because he checked Mm -hmm. the boxes and I didn't even realize he checked the boxes till I pulled that little sheet out. And I was like, Oh my God. And he's like, oh, did you write that about me? I said, yeah, three years ago before I met you, I wrote it. (laughs) Right? Being really specific. But what if we took that approach as employees Mm. or business owners and you're like specific, like this is who I want to work with. This is the culture I want to work with. These are the types of people I want to work with. And it's non-negotiable. There might be a couple things that have room for negotiation. But I think part of that, right? I'm curious, like when he said, what made you make the choice? What made him make the choice? I Mm. think part of that was a feeling for him as well, right? Of when you come in with, this is what I want, then you come in with an air of confidence. Yeah, exactly. I I really had nothing to lose. They say no. Okay, I'll keep doing what I was planning on doing anyway. They say yes. Oh, we got something cooking. So the kind of going back to to what you asked me a minute ago with the non-negotiable stuff. So like for me, for example, I came from a bank owned company, have a lot of bank background. Those banks and credit unions are my team's primary customers, right? Mortgage brokers are great too, but that's our primary function. So 
But one of the things I wanted to do is, is, is like for me personally, I wanted to have an independent mortgage company. So not owned by a bank. I want to have it small, which we are, because I want the ability to grow and nurture something and make it into something that is that is new and exciting, not going and stepping into a company that's been established for 20 years that is very corporate, uh, which I think we all know what that means. Um, not very nimble, a lot of red tape, got to get 17 approvals before you go change the toilet paper out in the bathroom. That I was just to say to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And that's, that's not what I wanted. And for those of y'all out there, that are listeners that know me. I think you can see why that's not a good fit, but that's my list. Other people say, Hey, look, I like the comfort of knowing that it's bank owned. I like having that implied prestige or that safety net, whatever the case may be. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's important for each individual person to be sure that yeah. they are checking out the box. And not only that, Gina, that this actually really holds true to people who are out there working. Maybe they've been at the company they've been at for 12 years or something like that, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, you know what? Especially brand new year, maybe, maybe it's a good time to do it. Step back and say, hey, is this company still checking my boxes? Or do I, or have they changed or has, or have my boxes changed? Are they still meeting my needs? They did when I first started. There's nothing wrong with doing that self-assessment. And I think that's really important. So. Yeah. It's like, it's, know yourself, know what you want. I love that you and I have uh, a lot of similarities on this. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I want to be in a place where I have room to be a wild child where I can grow. And what you talked about, when you're in that smaller kind of um, type of environment, it, it gives you the the grounds for mm -hmm. being able to create and grow things, which then drives you, I believe, and then that drives your productivity and then that makes you successful and then that makes the company successful. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is that we all need to know what our drivers and motivators are because I don't, I, I see this over and over again leaders don't know how to find out what motivates their people. Mm -hmm. And that's where the struggle comes in. And that's where you've got quiet quitting, quiet firing, apathy, things like that. Because if you're not tuned in, if you don't have that emotional intelligence, the big vision of knowing what's going on, understand the drivers for your people mm -hmm. and still set the expectations of what you want from them. And they're going to yeah produce but you got to know who you are i also like the i do like every year a like a vision boarding thing i'm getting ready yeah. right now i'm gonna be doing a women's retreat i do it at, i do this every year for a small group of women and we I'm gonna like, I can come to that by the way uh, yeah you're it's gonna be good and we just we plan out our year we plan out our year what are we looking to do and accomplish and we like we set our goals for the year in every part of our life, right? The whole right. wheel of life thing. And so last night I was reviewing 2023 mm. and I'm like, lo and behold, I knocked some shit out of the ballpark of what I said I was going to do. And I did eight out of the 10 things. And the funny thing is that I never looked at it again when I put it together. I just put it together, put it on the shelf and didn't look at it. But the things happened because I manifested them or they were yeah. in the back of my mind. And so now I can go through that checklist and be like, all right, what do I want for the new year? Yeah. 
And I think it's the same thing. If everybody did an evalu- a self-evaluation for their past year of mm. where they are and where they want to go, this is how you level up. Well, and back to the EQ piece of it, again, it's not just the dollars and cents, right? It, it's when I went, like for me, for example, when I'm out there trying to build this sales team out, I don't only have to look at the individual's capabilities, production, and success. I have to look and see how they're going to interact with the team. Excuse me. I have to look and see if their goals, visions, and interests align with what we're doing here. So, for example, I may pass on somebody that has a higher production, but they are interested in growing something from the ground up. And so that's more important because we're going to be a part of something. And that's actually one of my one of my selling points that I've tried to disseminate throughout my sales team that we're building is I want you to go to your customers and say to them, look, you've got a seat at the table. You're getting in here on the ground floor. Your opinion matters here more than it does at XYZ company. Yeah. Um, because you have an, you have the unique position of having input and driving essentially part of our growth. And I'm actually putting together uh, kind of as an aside for that. I'm going to be growing a, a what what amounts to an advisory board for our company for comprised of different customers that can essentially sit there and say, hey, look, I know we've been around and around individually. Let's talk. What do y'all want out of this company? Because we're in a position where we can do that within reason, of course. But I think that's really important to to not only empower your customers, but also be sure that the people are going to be selling what's really at the core of your company. Does that make sense? One hundred percent. And if you've got that buy-in internally, it's going to exude mm-hmm. externally. Um, more and more, this I think this is a big focus for the show this year is the yep. internal and external customer experience. Yep, that that internal gets overlooked a ton. So much, and I don't understand why. Well, um, it's, it's interesting because in one of the not to get all, like way off topic, but I know that's what you and I do anyway. But yeah, so in some of the in some of the more corporate trainings that I do, when when we're dealing with C suite folks and saying, "Hey, what's going to make your management team successful?" Getting that buy in is one of the hardest things to do, and that really goes back to what you just mentioned. It gets it, it goes back to that internal customer service. Are you taking time to find out what's important to your employees? What they what matters to them? If it's a little different, how can we package what we do every day to what they want to be doing as well? Maybe it means a different role. Maybe it means showing them how what they do fits into the bigger picture. Or maybe it just means actually talking to them or sharing what the brain trust comes up with and having it go down, something above and beyond. Oh, you're just going to do this. All right. Don't ask any questions. This is what we got to do. Well, that that's great. Not 1955 anymore. That doesn't work. So... Kind of, that's where that that's where the apathy kicks in, and that's where the quiet because exactly, they're like, I, I don't give a shit anymore. That's where what, the quiet quitting starts. Like, yeah, yeah why? Exactly. Why am I going to put energy? Good. It's it's a big yes. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of a yes and. Yeah, you're just squashing. You're just squashing the dreams. I had shared with you a while ago about a client of mine mm. who wanted to create a position that he wanted to hire for that didn't exist. And there was quite a bit of red tape to it, even though he was the CEO of the company. Mm -hmm. He cannot execute his plan because of the way he operates, which initially I was like, "Mm." little little turned off. But then you said, "Okay, wait a second. This means he values their opinion and input more. He values their opinion. He is going through a process internally of actually socializing the idea of 
here I want, I'm looking at creating this role. Now, when he first mm. introduced it, half the people were like, meh. <laughs> so he's like, okay, I got to take it to the next level. I'm going to yeah. have some external surveys done. I'm going to like, he's going to do all these things and then bring it to his board, but he's not going to bring it to his board until he has sold it internally. Mm. And at first I was like, and then it made so much sense because in the next phase when I'm like, how's it going? He's like, I just got on more people have bought in. Yeah. It's like and trying to sell a bill in Congress besides the kickbacks. But yeah, you got to take it to each individual person. Find out what's important. Why is this? Why does this matter to you? Yeah. And, and they want everybody wants to know what's in it for me. How is this going to affect? It's just all goes back to sales 101, doesn't it? Because when the prospect picks up the phone, their internal driver is going to be, why do I want to talk to this person? Yeah. I, I was just talking to another client yesterday who I've been working with for a year now, coaching him. He moved out of an individual contributor role into a sales management role, took over mm. as a sales leader, helped him lay that out. And he's growing his team. He's hiring more people. And he was telling me a story about how he took a new candidate out to dinner with some existing salespeople. And it kind of got surly a little bit because that candidate was like, so how are you going to feel if I start exceeding your what you do? And it ruffled feathers. It ruffled feathers of like those employees were like, we don't want you to hire her. Mm. And we talked it out of like, here are the positives of that. And meanwhile, you also have to look at where does my culture stand today? Mm -hmm. And will this new person fit the culture as it stands today? Mm -hmm. Or <laughs> will it start building a new one going forward? Or should I bring this person in? to shake up the culture, to get the culture a different place that I want it to be. So these are the yep. things that have to be thought about, in my opinion, by leaders versus like, oh, warm body, hire them without <laughs> thinking about the ramifications. Exactly. Exactly. I, I want to go back to, because this has come up a couple times now with guests on the show. Let's go back. Let's go back. I think we're in a new era with COVID. I think COVID created a lot of different things. Side hustles are mm -hmm. a big thing for people. I, I interviewed one some someone several weeks ago who <laughs> was a felon, did time in prison. He was in the finance accounting areas and embezzled, got busted, got out. I guess um, that was his side business, huh? Yeah, maybe. And then got he's an incredible engaging speaker. Yeah. And if anyone wants to go listen to that, it's the Chuck Gallagher episode. <laughs> but he's a VP of sales of a company. But then he also owns a video production company. Mm -hmm. And he's a keynote speaker. And so I'm like, how is that fitting with your company that you've got this separate identity and brand? And kind of similar to what you're saying, what he does feeds into the success of that company that he's an employee of. Mm. And to me, that means that company is secure enough, emotionally secure enough, mentally yeah. secure enough. I don't know what you want to call it. I, I didn't get into asking him about, are there guidelines in place? Because I think there's got to be some kind of guidelines in place on what that looks like, because you're yeah. still representing someone else while representing mm -hmm. yourself. Has Have you talked about that and how you're 
because I know when everything went down and with the job in November and you and I talked about it, you were like, yeah, just going to go out on my own. And you were like, yeah. and you were already side hustling, but you're going to grow it. I was like, yeah, going to take it full time. Right. right? Yeah. And then this opportunity came up and you're like, I can do both. Yeah. So let's first talk about how they're handling it. Number one. And then number two, I want to talk about how do you handle making it all work? Mm-hmm. So the employer doesn't feel like they're not getting all of you. Right. Exactly. So essentially they look at it as a value add or an enhancement of their brand. So you've got the main thing and then they've got a little sparkly thing on top. That's me. I'm the sparkly thing on top. Right. So, uh, the training and coaching that I do is geared primarily towards loan officers, bankers, realtors, that kind of thing. So if I, for example, if I was in the business of training wholesale account AEs, which is what my team is comprised of for other companies, well, that would be a little self-defeating now, wouldn't it? Why am I going to go train the competition to be better? Right. That I understand, but these are the people that are going to be our customers, the people that feed the, feed our customers business as well there. So it's their referral partners. So there is a lot of, I hate using the term because it's been beaten to death, but there's a lot of synergy here. The training that I do has the ability, say, for example, for one of our customers to say, hey, look, I don't have the knowledge and skill set to train my referral partners on XYZ. Skip, can you come do that? Yes, I can. So we can do that. So we also have a retail group um, as part of my, my company. So for those out there that don't know the differences, wholesale is selling B2B. Retail would be B2C, okay? So we also have, have a retail group that I'm going to start working with on a training coaching basis as well. So that helps them internally. So from their standpoint, they can say when they're out there recruiting new loan officers, hey, look, we have an established, well-respected trainer that will help you grow your business so you don't have to go out and pay for it. That kind of thing. So there are a lot of there are a lot of examples like that 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 really kind of make it a good fit. Now, to your other point of saying, hey, look, how, how do you have time for all this? Well, that goes back to to a couple of different things. One is like, is like I mentioned before, that everything is so intertwined. Yeah. A lot of it, I can help coach and help my sales team sell while also doing this for some of their customers. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, so, so there's that. I also use that skill set to help grow my own sales team. So that's also another part of it. It helps get name recognition out. They say, so for example, if I'm out there delivering a keynote and they say, hey, Skip Wilcox with 5x5 Funding, also the owner of Cairo Sales Group, they see, they, they see that out there. It gives name recognition to a new company. So it also helps get that out there. Like, oh, Skip's part of that. They must, have, they, they must know their ass from a hole in the ground. Joke's on them. But it's not kidding. I'm kidding. So there, there are a lot of different reasons. So I know from a lot of companies' concerns, they say time, time, time's a problem. Well, if we really look at time during the day, let's let's be honest. Yeah, doing a dual gig like that is not for everybody. And again, I'm not like a 50-50 guy. This is more like a 70-30, okay? But that's not for everybody. So it takes good time management skills. You have to be able to segment and block off time and designate certain times for certain things. Do some things you just simply shouldn't do on the clock. It takes a lot of things like that. To, otherwise, for one, you'll be scrambling all over the place, not knowing where to go, what to do. Two, you will inevitably start neglecting duties in one or the other. So it takes good time management. <laughs> but from the other standpoint of, does this conflict with our business? Well, yeah. If if you're out there, if you're 
out there with your own title loan company and you're working for a bank, well, that might be a little bit of a problem. But, or if you're in in one of the quote unquote sin businesses, you're, you sell firearms or cannabis or something like that, they then might have them, but there could be an issue. But if it's something that is related and connected, then I think you have a lot more ability to grow. But to your point though, and that, but that's for me and management, right? If you're a, just a boots on the ground, daily grind guy, and you want to get into a side business, I think that you should be able to do that, frankly, as long as your performance metrics, which should be very clearly spelled out. If not, that's a different discussion for a different day. But assuming essentially your performance hasn't suffered, there's no reason why you can't devote time. Now, they may say, hey, look, you've got to be on the clock for nine to five. You can't do it. Okay, that's fine. That's not That doesn't stop you. If it's something you're passionate about, you really enjoy doing, you're going to find the time before or after. And so a prime example is, is real estate. A lot of realtors, especially when they're first getting started, I'm not a big fan of doing you know real estate part-time. I don't really yeah. care for that approach, but sometimes, frankly, you have to do it to, to make ends meet. If you're serious about doing it and you're passionate about doing it and you're going to work to succeed, you may have to have a day job, but guess what? That means your weekend's completely full, that kind of thing. So, but that doesn't affect your your quote-unquote day job. And you may say, hey, look, they're connected really well. I can keep doing both. Or you may say it's too much. I must focus on the regular job. Or you may shift over to the other one full-time. You know, the world is your oyster, Gina. Well, it should be. And, <laughs> you know, um, it should be. This is America. So you should be able to do those things. But I think you hit on a key point. Are you hitting your KPIs? Are you hitting your goals? Are mm. you producing what you said you would produce and what was expected of you to produce? Yeah. And then, and that side hustle, does it give you running my improv on the weekends gives me joy. Mm-hmm. It sparks my creativity and yeah, the cre- a lot of intangible benefits. Yeah. Well, well, the creativity helps me think about things differently in how I approach people and prospects of the solutions that I come up with. I've we kn- I've done a ton of research on this and how creativity sparks productivity. There are studies that show that creative people will produce three and a half times more mm. in revenue than non-creatives. Yeah. Well, you guess what? You you don't get to be born creative and stay creative. You actually have to hone it. It's like working out. So you yeah. so it's a diminishable I, skill for sure. I, right. So I, I do that to have the balance because it becomes mundane if like all you're doing is work, work in one well, area. The diversion. I'm sorry. I mean, no, that's I mean, okay. I was going to say, isn't it interesting though that companies, if they have like, let's just say an old scenario of you got, got a single mom, works a day job, has to take a second job as a waitress or whatever else at night. Um, is it interesting how that's not a problem, which it shouldn't be if it, and quite, let's just say that's a different conversation about fair wages and all like that. Let's not get into that. Let's just say all things being equal, companies don't have a problem with you doing that because that doesn't really spark any joy in the employee going out there and doing this. But companies have a problem a lot of times with people going out doing a side hustle that brings them more intrinsic benefits than they could provide. So is it really a time thing? Maybe it's a little jealousy thing too, saying, "Hey, look, I wish. Why aren't you getting what you get out of that from us? Why, why, why aren't you doing that?" Well, there are a number of reasons for that, right? But hey, I think that's a great question for companies to ask themselves too. 
But, but I think it's funny how that works. It's like, oh, so you're getting a lot of, so, well, you're putting all your energy into that. So you're suffering here at work. Really? Really? So if I had to get a second job moving boxes for UPS at from 7 a.m. to 2 a.m., then be back here at 9, that's not a problem. But if I do something where you see me online, you see me happy, all of a sudden it's an issue. I don't know about that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting question to ask, right? Well, I, why don't you, you talk about the waiting tables thing. I waited tables all through high school, college, and then some because when I got out of college, I couldn't make enough money and had to wait tables and bartend. And yeah, a, a bartending was going to be my, my, yeah. my other people. So. And I, I would be more concerned as an employer if one of my people was waiting tables because of the optics that she's got to go wait tables because... We- I'm not paying her enough. That's a different discussion. I, that, that's a different kind. I don't know anyone who truly enjoys waiting tables because I, I, I wasn't like, yeah. can't wait to go wait tables tonight because yeah. it definitely yeah. wasn't happening and it wasn't giving me joy, but I wasn't getting paid enough. Or sometimes you want to make more money for things like I got to step some getting ready for college. I'm planning for retirement. Like maybe you want to make extra money because you want to make extra you money. You want to take your life to the next step and that's fine. But again, but it, it shouldn't matter. It, it it shouldn't. So let's talk a little bit about, like you said, you show up now and you're representing two companies and you have two mm-hmm. different brands. How is How does that work? And how is your employer so secure about that? That How do you eliminate that maybe the potential confusion or perception of that there will be confusion? That's an easy one. That's full, It's full transparency. They know who I, who I work with, what I train on, they know where to find information about my other company, where, you know, again, a lot of it's overlapped. So there's not really any co-branding going on or anything like that. Yeah. But it all goes back to not trying to like put it behind the curtain. We don't want any Wizard of Oz stuff going on around here. Like there is no man behind the curtain thing. We want to pull that back to have full exposure. We want to get the full Monty of the other job. So that there's... <laughs> so that there's that's a mental picture you did that that you didn't need. I really got a mental picture. I don't want to talk about. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I'm gonna check the not safe for kids box on YouTube now. But but anyway, so the the transparency is really key. Being sure beforehand that you are telling your company that you work for what it is, who who you serve, why it's gonna be important for them. Essentially, let's face it, you're doing a sales job because you they need to be comfortable with it. You want to leave as little to the imagination and question marks as you possibly can. There are a lot of people out there that try to like hide it, try to just not tell their employer, hope they don't get caught. There's a lot of that going on. That also creates its own set of issues from a trust yeah. and, and those kind of things. So, Well, there's a couple of questions with that. Why do they feel like they have to hide it? Right, exactly. But from either standpoint, I can get from someone's hiding it and they say, and the employer says, well, in our employee handbook, it says you have to disclose any additional employment. Why didn't you do that? Be it right or wrong, that would be the rule. Fear uh, of retaliation. Yeah, exactly. So, which is fine. But again, it ta- it does take both sides. So you as the person working the side hustle has to do your part. Yeah. So I know this is a really personal question. Well, let's, oh, Gene, let's do it. But since we're talking along these lines, have, have you signed um, a non-compete or an NDA that would be obviously... Uh, in, in conflict with what you're doing as a side hustle? I have not. I have not. Now, when I start working with the other division of our company, there will be something that we have to get into just from a legalese standpoint. 
But actually, my company does not believe in holding their salespeople in general to non-competes and that kind of thing. They basically take the stance of, hey, look, we're sorry it didn't work out. Do you want to go make yourself a living elsewhere? We don't really give a shit. Go on. I appreciate it. Best of luck to you. We're not going to hold you for 12 months or six months or whatever, or whatever the case may be. There's other companies out there that refuse or like, if you even contact one of your old accounts, they'll drop the legal hammer on you, that kind of thing. Doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter if it's in a different line of work or not. You could be selling mortgages now and then try and go sell loan software to them. Doesn't matter. That's ours. You shouldn't be, shouldn't be contacting them. So there's all, anyway, that was one of the things that really attracted me to these guys. Like, hey, look, we want you to want to be here. You don't want to be here. Hey, that's cool. We, that's fine. No hard feelings, man. Just go on. Yeah. yeah, well, I think there's a bill in Congress right now on limit, on squashing non-competes altogether. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what happens this year with that. Well, non-competes are something that they, in in my line of work in financial sales, they're they're pretty prevalent, but they have very much, I guess, the frequency of them has decreased over the recent years. It's just we're all in the same business, man. It's just, it's just the way it is. That's why people see folks that jump jobs every two to three years to different companies for this, that if you're in a merger acquisition type industry like we are, you almost have to do that. Otherwise, you're going to stagnate. And so non-competes would make that very difficult. They are still still present. There's no doubt about that. You being the econ guy, right? I think the concern with non-competes is that it it affects economic development and it affects people being able to increase their income as a result of being held back yeah. by those. Well, yeah. the, the if I'm a company, why do I want somebody to do that? Why They don't want to be here. They don't want to be here. Fine, go on. It's great. Peace out. I'm going to bring in somebody that can maybe do a better job, that wants to be here. That So them contacting the list of accounts may not even matter at that point because they're going to sell with enthusiasm again. Who knows? It's just better for my personal standpoint is very much in agreement with the owners of the company that I work for and that let's just wash our hands of it and be done with it. Awesome. Well, this has been another riveting conversation with Skip. Yeah, so I, say, I, feel, I feel like we're just getting started. I know. I think we'll schedule another one because we talked about talking about recruiting sales teams. So yeah, I guess I guess we didn't get to touch on that. Well, we didn't get we'll to touch do on it again that real soon. But well, yeah, let's get that on the books to do that real soon. Always a joy to have you. It was a pleasure to have here. me. Thank you so much, Skip. If people <laughs> want to get a hold of you, what is the best way to do that? So you can go to LinkedIn. All my stuff is there. My mortgage company is 5by5funding.com. My sales business development training company is Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, salesgroup.com. All that is also on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, even though TikTok, I kind of neglect, I got to be honest with you. Yeah, I know. I don't do a whole lot on there. I know I should, but but yeah, or, or just Google me. You'll find me out there somewhere doing something, I'm sure. Google him, Skip. Wilcox with two L's. Two L's. Two L's. <laughs> um, all right. Gina, thank you so much for having me. All right, Skip. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners and viewers because you can watch this on YouTube. So go to women your mother warns you about.com. You can find all of our social channels there, including our YouTube account. So go check that out and we'll see you next time. See you.